Welcome into another edition of the Commitment Issues Podcast. I'm Woody Womack, joined only this week by Nick Kruger from uh, lovely Austin, Texas. Nick, how's it going today? Going well after uh, after the Minnesota Vikings and New York Giants did me a huge solid last night. I come up 2-0 again in fantasy football for a combined 7-1 start to the season, so I'm feeling real happy. Well, we all know that I am not participating in fantasy football this league as nobody invited me to a league. Really depressing for me. So, uh, you know, I guess I'll just have to play daily fantasy on Yahoo Sports. Uh, speaking of uh, selfless promotion, uh, be sure to contact us, RivalsPodcast at Yahoo.com. Tweet us at RivalsPodcast. We'd be happy to talk about topics you suggest. And please, please, please subscribe on iTunes. I know a lot of people listen to this show on YouTube. We are available on iTunes. Just search for Commitment Issues, and uh, we'll be downloaded right to your phone every week. We're also available now on Google Play, which is a new addition to the Arsenal uh, Stitcher Tune in, whatever else you got. Name a podcast app. We're on there, and if we're not, let me know, and I'll make sure it happens. So, uh, let's jump right in, Nick. We're, we're riding without Rob Cassidy, who <laughs> flew to New York to uh, watch the Mets lose to the Giants. Which, you know, an interesting decision by him to to do that with me knowing what the outcome of the game is already. But guess who else? <laughs> guess who else flew the coop this week or this past week, Nick? Blake Barnett. Wow, former five star. He gone. Uh, he decides to leave Alabama almost in the middle of the night. He was the backup quarterback, actually started the year as the starter. When you saw that news, what kind of went through your head, uh, knowing that uh, you'd seen Barnett play quite a bit and were, and were familiar with him from his days uh, as, a, as a rival's camper? Well, uh, this is a theme that you you know we've all been talking about on the podcast now for, for some time, the possibility of quarterbacks transferring and the circumstances that might lead them to do so. You know, obviously Barnett came in there, I believe it was a year ahead of uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, wasn't able to win the starting job ahead of him. And, you know, Jalen, honestly, I, you know, I had mentioned to you before, he was a guy that we had seen in uh, Rivals Camp Series events uh, prior to him committing to Alabama. And I wouldn't have thought, you know, coming out of high school that he would have been uh, the quarterback to supplant Barnett in terms of both of their career trajectories uh, there at Alabama. And, you know, you and I have talked to Barnett a few times. Uh, seen him at a couple of events that that we've hosted, and he seemed like a, you know, pretty cool guy and easy to get along with, and somebody that that would do pretty well to roll with the punches, in my opinion. Uh, but you know, listen, it, the the more that the more that I see quarterbacks transferring and and trying to find better opportunities for themselves, especially at the college level, you know, the less uh, the less bad I feel for him. I mean, your opportunity to uh, you know get as much out of your college career as you can is very very small, especially when you're a quarterback. Uh, and there's so much on the line for you on the other end once you complete your college career if you're successful at it. So, you know, he owes it to himself to give himself the best opportunity to play and to be successful. And if Alabama wasn't it for it, uh, you know, then then so be it. Well, one of the reasons it made a lot of news was, you know, not only because he's only he's basically one hit away. He was the backup. You know, they they both of those young guys had outplayed uh, some of the uh, older players that were highly ranked. Uh, David Cornwell, I believe, was a five star on some other sites. We had him ranked relatively high, and uh, the other kid, man, I can't even remember his name from Utah. Oh, <laughs> Cooper, Cooper Bateman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so a couple of guys that you and I weren't very uh, fond of in terms of their ability, but did finish, I believe, as four stars. It, he leaves now in the middle of the year, and the word is because he thinks he can get in maybe to another school and kind of cheat the system. There, there have been some talks about this behind the scenes. I know with SEC players, especially guys who enroll early, that if you leave three or four games into the year, you can then enroll in a JUCO out West, take you know two or three terms quickly, get that associate's degree, and be on your way to uh, to enroll and not have to sit out a full season. So it's an interesting loophole. We'll see if he can make it happen. I've heard players, I know several SEC players, uh, behind the scenes have, have asked me in the past, you know, what are the rules? Yeah. And I'm like, listen, you know, these are, I'm not a rules expert uh, on transferring, but uh, you know, Barnett, Barnett sneaks out the back door. And I kind of wanted to tell a story. I mean, back, I think it was that year in Baltimore. Was it, was it 2014? We were in Baltimore. Barnett was there. He came to, uh, he came there and he had just decommitted from Notre Dame. And I think everyone assumed he was bound for Oregon. I think it was a done deal. And we were riding on the elevator with him, I believe. And he even said 
because because I, I was trying to talk him into committing there at the event, and he said, "Oh, you know, I'm gonna wait a little bit, but it should yeah, you know, it should be only be a matter of time for uh, you know I commit." Then he goes and visits Alabama and flips, and you know as it turns out, obviously that wasn't the right choice for him. Oregon's gone with some JUCO or not even JUCO FCS quarterbacks transferring, and you have to think Barnett would have been in a position to be the starter there had he made that decision. So. You know, it's amazing that just one little change of mind, one extra visit, can it can change your whole trajectory. And now Barnett, a guy that we ranked as a five-star and someone that we thought was, you know, a real dynamic playmaker, ends up uh, failing to pan out. And I, I don't think it was because of him. I think, like you said, Hurts, uh, you know, seems to be a fit in what Alabama does offensively more now than, than Barnett was. And that's the way the old uh, cookie crumbles. Well, so. and, and two, if I if I could, you know, just to continue on. And but when he was ranked as a five star a couple of years ago, this is before I had assumed full on analyst duty, so I wasn't necessarily responsible for ranking uh, kids myself. And you know, he wasn't necessarily. I don't think anybody would have suggested he was the most polished passer. But think about it: if he would have went to if he would have went to Oregon or if he would have went to Notre Dame, and this would have been his situation this season, do we really think he would have been any more successful there? This year with those teams, then, you know, you know, I mean, he might still be finding himself in this situation wanting to cut and run and go for it. He needed he probably needed some more seasoning as a passer because he wasn't uh, I mean, if the seven on seven performance in the five star challenge was any indication. I mean, remember, they went his team went winless in group play. It wasn't until, you know, they reseeded and everybody made the playoffs in the seven on seven that he turned it on and did well. I mean, he wasn't on the entire time. He wasn't the best quarterback there. And, you know, and I think I think probably a little bit more playing and a little bit more seasoning and, and more coaching and more opportunity for him would be the best thing. And, uh, you know, but if he would have went to Notre Dame or Oregon this season, who knows? I mean, it, it might be David Carr syndrome or something like that for him. And he might have been stunt, stunted from the start anyway. Yeah, that's true. I guess you could never know how, how things shake out. Uh, he's leaving town. One man that's coming into town for old Alabama is Dylan Moses, uh, Rivals 100 linebacker, Rivals 100 athlete, I believe we have ranked. He's played a lot of running back over the years, and he's a guy that made national headlines a couple of years ago when he got offered by Alabama and LSU when he was still in middle school. He's been, I mean, I swear he's been to a Rivals, probably 10 Rivals camps over his high school career between five-star challenges and uh, regional camps and things of that nature. So, Finally, he makes the decision. Everyone assumed he was bound for LSU. He's from Louisiana, but boy, the uncertainty there. And I was told Alabama kind of put the screws to him on that visit and said, look, we're taking X number of linebackers. They had him and Jacob Phillips there at the same time. And they, they, they told him, look, you commit now or uh, you can hit the road. So he ends up committing, canceling all his other visits. He was supposed to be in Miami this weekend. Um do you think this saga is over, Nick, or do you think we're still, you know, he's, he's supposed to enroll early, but you think that the Dylan Moses chapter is finally closed and this is going to be it for him? Yeah, uh, I think so. Well, did is the, is he still wanting to play running back? Is that still on the table for him? Or is no, he- no, he wants to he wants to play linebacker. I, I think, the you know, the thinking here with us is that he's better at running back, but, you know, so I guess he's going there as a linebacker. Okay, well, so, well, here's the deal. So I, I know that with less miles out of the picture at LSU, there was probably a little bit, a swell of optimism that he might consider coming back to, to Texas and playing for the Longhorns. But we, and we'll touch on them a little bit later, but we all know that that scenario is a little bit in flux right now, possibly. And, and Alabama had to have known that, right? They have all the leverage in this situation. They're a top program, wins national championships, or, or in the conversation for national championships every single year. They were in on his recruitment from the beginning, and they play hardball like this with recruits on visits. This isn't a foreign strategy to them. So to have him on campus, knowing that LSU is off the table with less gone in all likelihood, and Texas being up in the air, they had all the uh, they had all the opportunity to, you know, like you said, put the screws to him. And, you know, it seems, I mean, I think it makes sense for both parties, don't you? Yeah, I think it does. I, I think I was surprised he ended it early. It just shows, you know, sometimes fans don't realize behind the scenes that, you know, these coaches tell you, hey, I don't care if you're a five-star or whatever, we're only going to take this certain number of players and you got to do it now, we're not playing games. So it's interesting that Alabama's in that position to where they can just decide that, uh, hey, we're taking this guy <laughs> and that's that. And uh, sure enough, it works out for them. I, I wonder, we, you know, we're still high on Moses. I, I, I just think, I personally still think he's, he's better off at running back. But, 
you know, obviously Alabama doesn't usually take guys and move them positions in terms of offense and defense. So I think they're going to give him a shot at linebacker. But uh, if something tells me, you know, he's he's had a dramatic recruitment. I mean, he's a pretty low-key kid, but I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he goes to Alabama and is willing to sit for a year or two a la Barnett. Uh, you know, is he willing to kind of wait his turn or – or does he get a little restless and want to jump ship? So we'll, we're watching. We're watching old Dylan Moses. Something tells me he's going to be in our lives for uh, several more years to come. <laughs> uh, we talked about LSU, and uh, this week, this weekend, LSU loses their first commitment uh, since Les Miles uh, was fired. Stephen Guidry, who's a talented Juco wide receiver out of Mississippi, he's actually from Louisiana. Uh, he, he was a guy that maybe he had some great concerns come out of high school, bounced around. I had a chance to talk to him when I went to uh, some camp in Mississippi. And uh, he was a funny kid because he actually committed to LSU and then released his top five a week later. And I did, I did an interview with him, and he, he just repeatedly talked about how stupid he was over, and he kept calling himself a stupid kid. And uh-huh. He's like, I'm so, he's like, I'm so dumb, and he was really down on himself for putting out that top five list after he committed. So <laughs> now he, and now he's back on the market. Uh, I have to think this is going to be the first of many, right? I mean, what, what's the vibe you're getting from the Texas kids? I mean, do. The, this is going to go on for another two months. I mean, so do, do you think it's going to keep happening? Uh, well, my my vibe on the Texas kids hasn't changed much since since our last conversation. I don't know if you can tell through the broadcast or not. I'm a little under the weather, uh, playing with flu like flu like symptoms on, on this podcast right now. So I did go to one I game. Maybe you had a sh- I, short in your microphone. Yeah, <laughs> I went to. A, the only game I went to last week was to go see, uh, you know, top ten player in the country, Jeffrey Okuda. Uh, LSU not really in the mix for him, so so I I've kind of been detached from that scenario. But really, when you when you take a look at uh, what ha- well, you and I had conversed about uh, LSU's following game from the LSU decision up against Missouri. I had thought uh, that Missouri had a good opportunity to go in there and catch LSU with a coaching change and a banged up Leonard Fournette. And uh, what does LSU turn around and do? They go up and put their highest point total of the season and uh, their best defensive uh, point total of the season as well. Went 42-7 to against Missouri. Uh, you know, I mean, if, if there was ever something to immediately uh, give a little shot in the arm of confidence, you know, to, to the recruits looking at this at this team and wondering, you know, where, where they're uh, you know, where their level of, uh, where their level of confidence should be as far as their commitment goes to LSU. I mean, what, what a performance, you know, I mean, I, I don't think, you know, I still think we got to kind of wait and see how things play out with Ed Orgeron. Obviously we know that he gets along real well with recruits. Uh, he's a guy that they like in Louisiana, a guy with head coaching experience, and he's obviously, you know, probably playing for, uh, you know, his next job as a, as a head coach at LSU too. He wants it. And, and so we're going to, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see how it plays out. I don't know how quickly uh, he's been able to uh, reach out to, to some of these committed kids, given all the, you know, all the turnover that's been going on and all the preparation that he's had to do uh, on, a, on a short, you know, a short period of time. So uh, there's still going to be a little bit of a, a window where he's going to have to play some catch up with that. So, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see as long as they don't lose to Southern Miss and <laughs> South Alabama, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, they still might be in pretty good good footing with some of these guys. Yeah, I, I just worry that the uncertainty. I, I just, I, you know, would they really hire Orgeron? I think they're they're set to make a national search just the way that athletic department has, has behaved. So I think, you know, short of him beating Alabama or going to the, you know, somehow making it to the SEC championship game or something. I think he's going to be gone. I well, just right, think- but they they wanted. I mean, going back to last year, they wanted they wanted they created the environment of wanting to fire Les Miles and couldn't bring themselves to do it. When, like we talked about last week, it it was their decision. They like Rob said, they could have beat Alabama and fired Les Miles if they wanted to, just because they could. And if they get themselves, if they put themselves in that situation again, LSU runs the table and wins in convincing fashion as they did this this past week, hypothetically speaking, they're going to find themselves in the same spot that they were in with Les Miles a year ago where they can't fire Ed Orgeron, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I, I think uh, perhaps the athletic director, it may, be, it may be a clean house situation. I'm not sure there. We'll, we'll be watching that uh, 
very closely. And I think a lot of recruits are too. I think this is kind of killing their recruiting right now. Like I said, Gidry's, Gidry's, Gidry's out. And uh, I think there could be several more guys to, to follow him out the door, depending on how things shake out. Now, uh, one program that, that's had been having a ton of success in Texas uh, this recruiting cycle is Iowa. They do a nice job of building their team with some, some guys from Texas. They kind of identify talent down there as well. Last year they had a huge season. We're on the verge of making the college football playoff. And then, you know, this year, boy, off to a rough start. They're 3-2. and two. They've got a couple of big-time commits. Chevin Calloway, who's a guy I really like, is a defensive back down there. Had a chance to see him. Uh, Eno Benjamin, of course, the running back that, that you're a big fan of. Uh, Callaway out taking visits. He was at Nebraska this week. It, is this slow start to the year? I mean, obviously we know uh, their coach, Kirk Ferentz, is not going anywhere based on the 50-year contract he signed recently. But are they in, da- are they in danger of losing some of these guys or what? Well, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I think Callaway is definitely – uh, on on flip watch the the what, what what people have to remember too with Iowa is last season was was somewhat of an anomaly right I mean they kind of they kind of came out of left field and they kind of won ugly too if I recall uh, with their games and and the past couple seasons I think I think the last two recruiting classes they've only had one four star kid commit so all these kids that they've got committed in this class that that are four stars uh, you know you're talking to Benjamin like you mentioned Callaway is another four star defensive end. Uh, AJ Apenza, as I might be saying his name wrong, and I apologize. Oh yeah, Apenza. Ep- Ep- Apenza. You, you know, those are the three four stars, and and it is going to be, it is going to, they're going to have to do a little bit of work to keep them. I think, I think Benjamin's uh, safe to stay. Um, I think quarterback Peyton Manziel uh, from from Texas is safe to stay. Uh, stay. Gavin Holmes, another receiver, I think is probably safe to stay. Uh, Matt Hankins you know, could, could probably go other way, either way. There's some other teams involved with his recruitment. They just got another commitment, Bo Corrales, just North of me out, out in Georgetown. He's a, he's a new commitment. Uh, I, I don't imagine he'd be looking to flip, uh, so quickly, but, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think Callaway is really the guy to watch. We know that he just took a visit to, uh, to Nebraska the, the past weekend. And I think he was, uh, looking at some other schools, obviously some, some other of, uh, you know, the, the in-state schools have been involved in his recruitment as well. So, um, you know, they're, they're really going to have to do some work on him. I know Benjamin is uh, relatively close to him and is probably in his ears, you know, trying to, trying to hold things together. Um, but you know, I, I mean, if they, if they don't, if they don't start turning things around and, and winning some of these games back, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough sell, uh, you know, for some of these kids that have, you know, offers from, from schools that are, you know, with more attractive records coming out of this season. Well, and, you know, when you build a program with, like you said, some guys that are, you know, three stars are under the radar, sometimes you really hit on those, especially when you develop them and they get older. And then maybe you have a one or two year push where they're, you know, redshirt juniors or seniors. And all of a sudden you've got guys that have been in the program for five years and you put it all together like they did last year. Of course, you know, you lose some guys, you lose some talent. And then and then next thing you know, you got to kind of build it back up again. So if they can hang on to that and kind of get some of these four star guys coming on a more regular basis, I think that's how they could maybe avoid these these peaks and valleys. Um, boy, speaking of the state of Texas, Nick, we, you know, we had a whole we had a whole episode at the beginning of the year where we celebrated Texas. Uh, Rob Cassidy is not on the phone. Uh, you know, he he said, let's hold the phone on Texas being back. You and I were ready to celebrate. Now, lo and behold, here we are. They're struggling. We got reports that Charlie Strong's probably going to be gone at the end of the year. Now uh, he's taken over as defensive coordinator, demoting the the defensive coordinator they have. You know what's going on down there? Is it is it over? Is the do the do the do the ship be sinking? <laughs> I'm. Yeah, I mean it's it's really it's really tough. I mean Texas, I I was I was optimistic that Texas uh, could could go up to Oklahoma State and uh, get a, get a win there in uh, Stillwater this week as well, and obviously that didn't end up happening. And you know you look at the you look at the changes that they're making out there defensively. Um, I, you know I'm not I'm not so sure what kind of changes they might make personnel wise on the field, but uh, you know defensively you're talking about Charlie Strong taking over the play calling on defense. And uh, Vance Bedford, former defensive coordinator, focusing solely on the defensive backs, um, you know. But that's that's really you know the defensive backs have, have kind of been a big problem of the defense. So to have him focus uh, solely on that, I mean, you're talking about a team that's uh, given up almost 65 percent uh, completion percentage to opponents this season. 
uh, just shy of 275 yards passing a game. So, you know, it's it's going to be tough to see what kind of changes they can make schematically uh, in a short period of time. They had they had they had the bye week to prepare for Oklahoma State. And, you know, you're talking in three out of their four games have given up uh, around the 50 uh, 50 burger per game. So, uh, you know, they they need to they need to turn things around quick. But Charlie Strong knows that. I mean, you know, this isn't this isn't his first uh, go around with. Uh, you know, the dark clouds starting to form over, you know, over the stadium here in Austin. So, you know, I don't know. What would you do? Well, I personally, I wouldn't fire him. Now, if they if they make a backdoor deal that says, hey, we can get Herman, okay, maybe you do it. But it's like he's got the offense turned around. You have a true freshman quarterback. You just had one of the best recruiting classes you've had in quite some time. They went out and, and, you know, got all the free agents from, from the Baylor situation. And I'm just thinking, you know, there's just so much young talent on the team. And maybe that's one of the reasons they want to get rid of him because you say, hey, look, you know, he's gotten he's, – he's stocked the coverage again. Now we can get somebody in to get us to the next level. I, I think it's tough. I think personally I would give him another year, but that's me. I know people are restless in Texas. Um, and, I, you know, I understand that. It's been a long time. You know, since since they were really dominant, and they should be dominant based on the talent that they have down there in terms of players. But boy, I, well, here's I still here's the deal: they he... have they have Oklahoma this week, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, so this is so 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 you tell me you tell me what kind of cocktail these ingredients <clears throat> these ingredients form, right? So you have a situation where you know you had some coaching turnover in the off season. You win your you win your first game against a big program that doesn't turn out to be that good. You know, here we are four games in the season and we're talking about the coach. Anytime you have a, situ- a situation where somebody at the top is assuming autonomous responsibility, uh, you know, they put their own backs against the wall and and things rarely go go north from there. Uh, you know, so so if they don't win this game against Oklahoma and Oklahoma is going to be super motivated to win. Right. Because, you know, they played a tough schedule. This is obviously a rivalry game and they're they're not having the season that they wanted either. Uh, you know, this, this isn't shaping up real, real well for Texas. And if they don't win out of, you know, if they don't win this game, if they come out with a, a performance like they did, you know, last week with two weeks to prepare for that game, uh, you know, if you're the AD at Texas, I mean, you're, you're not, you're not feeling too good about the, you know, the Charlie, the Charlie strong train right now. Right. Yeah. No, well, I, I, like I said, I understand how the fans feel. I just think, you know, I just think one, well, just give him one more year, baby. We saw when Derek Mason took over as the defensive coordinator of Vanderbilt, their defense got a lot better. He was a defensive guy, of course. Charlie is too. But uh, if I had to, if I had to wager on it, I would say that he's going to be foiled. Uh, <laughs> but if if not, if not, if if I was saying what I think, I think they should keep him. Unless, like I said, if you can get Herman to make an agreement on, you know, behind closed doors, which that's how these coaching searches work, then then maybe you do it, and maybe you make the move for sure. But if not, I think it, it's going to be a tough year with the co- coaching market. And just because you fire Charlie, I mean, doesn't mean you're guaranteed to get somebody good, especially because you know Herman could stay, or he could go to LSU, or he could go to USC. You know, the the Oregon job might be open, and I don't think anyone's going to pick Oregon over Texas. But I'm just saying, the more job openings you have the harder it is to to fill because there's only so many uh, quality candidates out there just when you guys thought you were off the hook with no rob cassidy on this week's show he comes through with a commitment issues conversation and interview this week with georgia tech head coach paul johnson joined now by georgia tech head coach paul johnson how are things in atlanta paul well they're going okay you know we, we'd like to we've had a couple of pretty rough weeks with uh Clemson and and then miami but uh you know, we got a chance to play again this Saturday, so that's the great thing about college football. You know, and people think of Georgia Tech, they think of a lot of different things. Uh, one of those is kind of the offense that you guys run there, that flex bone spread or the triple option or whatever you really want to call it. You hear a lot about knuckleballers in baseball that kind of all know each other, but from coaches that, that kind of study this offense and know this offense, is there kind of a fraternity of you guys that, that talk about it, or is it is that kind of been made too much of? Well, I don't, I don't know about a fraternity. I think, uh, you know, other than – than us here probably uh the academies run what what we run now everybody in college football just about now has some form of option and a lot of the gun spread stuff is pretty much similar to what we do they just do it out of the gun with zone blocking as opposed to what we do but uh you know the the guys at navy and and army are now both coach for me and and uh 
Kenny actually played for us in Hawaii. So, in Ivan. So, it's uh, those three schools, and then you know Troy Calhoun, who's at Air Force, played there and and was part of Coach DeBerry's group. So, uh, I don't know about a fraternity, but everybody knows everybody. How's recruiting to such kind of a niche kind of offense like that? Do you have to recruit a different kind of player, or does it affect your guys' strategy anyway running that thing, or is it just pretty much still trying to get the best athletes that you can get? No, you know, I really don't think it it, it affects much. I think that, that what happens is you try to recruit the best players. Uh, you know, the if you look at it by position, the offensive line, we, we have to have guys that hopefully can move a little bit. Uh, sometimes we'll sacrifice size for that, but the uh, other than that, it's just good players. I mean, you, you know, our quarterback now we've been playing the system. He was in a spread offense in high school. Uh, in fact, every quarterback that's on our roster was. Uh, all, all the other recruits, the same with receivers, the same with with the slot backs. Uh, you know, you you may not have to recruit as big a backs. So it gives you a little chance because they're cross between receiver, running backs. But you recruit the best players. It's not a, not a whole lot different. The way that Georgia Tech's set up academically and all that, how how much does that affect recruiting for you guys as far as the kind of players you can take there because it is such kind of a unique school in FBS football? It, it certainly it certainly has an effect. I think that uh, you know you it's a world class education here, so that you first of all you have to find guys who you know are interested in that that type of thing. They want to get a world class education, and then you have to find guys that can stay here more so than getting in is. Uh, you know, if you bring guys in here who can't handle the workload and can't can't do the schoolwork, they're going to make you miserable and them. So, uh, and and with APR the way it is now, you know, in the last you know what ten to fifteen years they added APR, which changes everything. So, you pretty much have to have guys that can do the work uh, to get in here. Uh, and then we have a little bit of a limited curriculum, but. But there's things that that people can study if they if they want to come and, and play here in Atlanta and get a world class education. You're one of a handful of coaches out there that didn't play college football on any level. How did you kind of break in, and, and what was kind of your big break in coaching? Well, when I finished college, I went back and coached at my high school where I'd played, and uh, from there I ended up at Lee's McCray Junior College, and really figured I would go back and be a high school coach. Uh, maybe at my high school be the head coach and uh it just kind of worked out i ended up at georgia southern with coach russell and my first two years there i coached on defense and uh, then i got moved over he asked me to be the offensive coordinator in 1985 and fortunately we had a kid named tracy ham and uh he was a really good player and we won back-to-back national championships and then i went to the university of hawaii and we had a lot of success won our league played in the holiday bowl uh, from there in the Navy. And then as a head coach, I've basically been hired back at every school that I'd coached at before, with the exception of Georgia Tech. I'd never been here. Hawaii is another interesting situation as far as recruiting goes. I talked to Norm Chow when he was the coach there, and he kind of said that you have to guard against kids just taking official visits out there just to take them that aren't really interested in the school. How hard is it to get kids out to Hawaii when you were coaching there? Well, it's difficult. Uh, you know, it's easy to get them to visit, but it's more difficult. I think you have to find a profile that fits. It's like any school. Every school has a profile. I think that, uh, you know, sometimes people put a lot of emphasis on the guy who's recruiting. I think it has a lot more to do with the school profile. Uh, if you look, uh, for the most part, most schools that that recruit the same type of guys over and over and over. It's uh, And like in Hawaii, you had to have a profile. uh you know, maybe kids from uh, single parents or, or kids whose parents work for the airlines that could fly for free or uh, somebody who was looking for adventure that just, you know, that wanted to travel and do some things. And, and then you supplemented it with trying to keep the best kids from Hawaii there, which which was also hard to do. But uh, at times, uh, you know, when we were really good, we had some of the better kids from Hawaii. You said every school has a profile. What's Georgia Tech's current profile, do you think, as far as recruiting goes? Well, I think that the profile is for, for young guys who want the total package. They want to play football at the highest level, but they're very interested in the education part. Uh, you know, where we sit, we're surrounded by bigger bigger stadiums, bigger, prof- you know, those those kind of things. So if a guy's looking to 
uh, you know, go to the 90,000 fans and uh, all those kind of things, then, then we're probably not going to be in the picture if he's looking to, you know, what academic programs are the best and what has a better chance to, to set him up, you know, for 20, 30 years after school, then we feel like we can certainly compete with whoever. You've been there almost a decade now, which is almost crazy to think about in today's day and age, what, especially with guys like us, Miles being like, oh, what do you make of kind of the culture that's become in, in coaching where it seems like nobody really gets much time and everybody's on a short leash? Uh, what do you kind of make of that? Do you think that's changed in the last five, six years, or do you think it's kind of always been that way? Oh, no, it's definitely changed in the last little bit. Uh, you know, I think that, that everybody has an expectation level, and, you know, it's – Sometimes it's hard to match the expectation level, and and when you're there for a period of time, uh, you know if you're if you're not winning national championships or whatever their expectation is, then it it becomes uh, convenient or or whatever you want to try something new. It's just the way life works, and so I think that what happens is you know like Mark Mark won what ten games a year at Georgia, but they had not won a SEC championship in a little bit or a national championship, and their fan base thought they could do better. And that's what that's what happens. I guess the same thing that happened with Les. I mean, he he won a lot of games and uh, and did that, but that's just the nature of the beast now. Why do you think it's gotten worse in the last five years? Do you think there are any factors that have contributed to that, or you think it's just you know a bigger microscope for everybody? There's probably factors that contribute. I mean, I think that that you know there's a lot more media attention, social media, and a lot more media attention and that kind of thing. And uh, to be truthful, I think that when, you know, the salaries got to where they are, that for whatever reason, if, if you make a certain salary, I think people feel like sometimes they, they can say whatever they want about you or, or whatever. It's like, uh, you know, so it's, uh, it's become a big business. There's a lot of money involved in it, and, and it is big business. Now, if I don't ask you about this, I'll get a letter from my boss. I at least got to ask. There were some remarks that you made that kind of got made a big deal out of about commitment to football and all of that uh, this well, week. And it was totally, yeah, totally blown out of proportion. And like typical with the media, what was said and what got reported wasn't the same thing. Basically, what I said was that if you have expectations, you have to have a commitment that equals the expectations. I, I never said that we were supposed to have the same facilities that Clemson had or that we couldn't beat teams or, or, or anything else. I said, when asked about Clemson, I said, well, do you think we have the same things they do? And the guy said, no. And I said, well, there you go. That wasn't saying what I was talking about is we need to have the same commitment to winning that those programs have. Sure. No, yeah. And I know how that happens. I mean, stuff does get kind of – Twisted so, in the media. So it just kind of took a life of its own. And, and then, of course, when one guy runs with something, then somebody else takes a part of it and runs with it. And then it turns into, well, the coach said we could never beat Clemson or whatever. You know, it's like uh, we beat Clemson two years ago. I think since I've been here, we're five and five against them. And, but, but what I was making the point is if your expectation is to play on that level, then you have to have a commitment that equals playing on that level. Before I get you out of here, I just want to ask you some non-football stuff that we've been doing with other coaches. What is, uh, what's, what, what's Paul Johnson's favorite film? If you're watching a movie, what, what, what are you picking? Gosh, I don't know. I, I very seldom go to the movies where, uh, probably some kind of old Western. Really. I enjoy watching those. Like Clint Eastwood style movies, something like that. Oh, even before then, John Wayne. Uh, oh man. You know, back to back to whatever. I, I enjoy those those kind of movies. What about the the iPod? Are you much of a music listener? Or no, I don't even have an iPod. Really? No music on your phone? Nothing like that? No, I've got Pandora on my phone. Hey, you and you and Bill Snyder both. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I don't want to take off any more of your time. Um, thanks so much. All right, you're welcome. You better hope that mediocre money that you make at Rivals is good enough for you for the rest of your life. It's time now for the Tweet of the Week. Boy, I got, I got myself in all kinds of trouble on, uh, on Saturday night, late night, Saturday night. I was out uh, 
Ubering people around at all hours of the night. And I saw, you know, Derek Tyson, who uh, works for ESPN, friend of the show. He he tweeted uh, <laughs> he tweeted a, a, an interesting shot at at St. Thomas Aquinas after they lost to after they lost to uh, Bishop Gorman. He tweeted, "Congrats, Bishop Gorman! You just beat an average Florida team, right?" And uh, we would not consider St. Thomas an average team. I don't think. I think they'd probably be at least above average, depending on your grading system. They got a ton of talent on that team. And uh, boy, Derek uh, was quickly under fire. We saw him get it. He was just getting hammered by people from South Florida. And, you know, no no offense to Derek, but he's not exactly, you know, uh, the, the sharpest with the comebacks. I mean, he was kind of keeping it classy, unlike myself, who, <laughs> who goes straight for the jugular in these situations. And... Uh, so 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 this this guy uh, was making fun of him, and because Derek is bald, he was taking shots at him, you know, for being bald and stupid and blah blah blah. At uh, the real Manny S is his uh, Twitter handle. So so I jumped in and uh, <laughs> decided to take a look at what kind of material I had to maybe make fun of Manny, and uh, he has a pinned tweet talking about how he. Uh, officially got the job. He's blessed and eternally grateful to be working for the Prada Corporation under Team Mew Mew. <laughs> like the Thank purse company? The... Yeah, yeah, the purse company, exactly. <laughs> what's, so, what's Team Moo Moo? I don't know. Oh. That's that, that that remains to be seen. I that's too highbrow for me. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> right. Well, so anyway, so he was talking about how, you know, he was talking about how he could do Derek's job better, this, that, and the third. He's since deleted the tweet, so I can't know exactly what he said. But uh, I quoted his tweet, and I said, we'll call you if we need a purse uh, <laughs> in reference to, 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 the, to, the, to the Prada situation. And he replied with the tweet of the week, and he said, just because I make twice what you make and you're two times older than me, don't do this. You're a washed human being. Wow. You add zero to the world. <laughs> Wait, you're a what to the world? I'm sorry, I was reacting to the you're, wash. You're a, you had you had zero to the world. Oh well. <laughs> so well, I think we both uh, can agree that's correct. So <laughs> yeah. Ne- needless to say, the conversation uh, went on from there, and I don't think you need to know who won the Twitter beefs, as uh, Manny has since deleted several of the tweets uh, after uh, you know. Yeah, I don't mess around on Twitter. <laughs> You've had a lot of practice, that's for sure. <laughs> right, ex- exactly. If so, Nick Cannon came anyway. up with an MTV show where it was Twitter insults back and forth, <laughs> you'd be the reigning champion week in and week out. <laughs> that's true. Tw- wild now, Twitter edition, uh, I'd be good. So so big shout to Manny. Uh, I actually didn't even end up blocking him, uh, which is a rarity because he wasn't funny enough. Uh, oh. But either way. <laughs> Sorry, Manny. Uh, you're the tweet of the week. So, oh, but you know what? Hey, if I could, if I could add, you know, I, I wasn't even thinking about this until you brought it up. The impetus of this whole exchange, uh, you know, friend of the podcast, Tate Martell, comes up with a tweet that says the greatest moment in his high school football career, and it was when he, I, I didn't, I didn't watch the game. I get, was it like a a toss play or a handoff or whatever to well, win that they game? W- they won an overtime. Yeah, they won an overtime. They went for two and won so, the game. So he so. takes the video clip from the TV broadcast and like does the slow build of "My Heart Will Go On" from Celine Dion. And right when the running back punches it into the end zone, it's the the climax of the song. Oh and, wow! And then the rest of the video is the downtrodden St. Thomas Aquinas shots of you know the guys with their you know, on one knee, helmet on the ground, and disbelief that they lost the game, and Celine is just belting it out. <laughs> it was so funny. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look that up. Do you think Tate did that edit himself? Oh yeah, think, definitely. Uh... No, he's a, he's a Twitter wizard. I mean, you know, actually, uh, 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 in the aforementioned Nick Cannon uh, Twitter back and forth show, you you versus Tate would be a good season finale, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, t- Tate. T- Tate has some good ones. Although it would be, it would probably be more like how you would make fun of him and how he would deflect it. It would probably be the the back and forth rather than him making. But who knows? I mean, you know, maybe I'm not giving him enough credit. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm ripe for uh, I'm ripe for uh, mockery. So if that's the problem, if you can find the right material, it's easy to make fun of me. Um, I'm gonna watch that Tate video. I I enjoy Tate. I enjoyed when he put the state of Nevada 
uh, in te- over Texas or whatever. Uh, he then deleted that tweet. But boy, a lot, lot of coming out of that uh, that Bishop Gorman St. Thomas Aquinas game. Great high school game. It's on ESPN three. Probably you can still still check it out. I would highly advise doing so if you want to see a ton of, of really good players. So uh, now it's time for our game of the week. This this week, uh, I guess we should go over last week. Last week, uh, Clemson and Louisville. Louisville was a two point favorite. Nick, you win against the home team, and you got burned. Deshaun I, uh, Watson and company I win by known. six. And and we yeah don't 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 ever go against Deshaun. Clemson's defense is uh, some serious, as the kids would say. Mm. They, they they're they're really not messing around. And guess what? Brent Venables may be in a position to get a head coaching job as well. So so keep an eye on that mm-hmm. as uh, he might be a, a guy. Um. This week we've got Tennessee at Texas A&M. The Aggies a six and a half point favorite, which is a big number considering Tennessee undefeated. Uh, they had that miracle victory the other day. I don't know if you ended up watching that or our boy Lorenzo Carter <laughs> stuck in stuck in quicksand, couldn't make the play <laughs> uh, to to deflect the ball as he just stood there. I I highly advise people watching the long view of uh, Jawan Jennings running from fifty yards away and and and. Uh, the amount of steps Lorenzo takes. It was a tough game for him. Tough loss. Uh, uh, c- conflicting emotions back and forth. Rico McGraw with a costly celebration penalty, even though he wasn't in the game. It was really a, a, a roller coaster of emotions. But what do you think? I think I think I'm going to go Texas A&M, and I'm going to take the points. I think they win by more than a touchdown. I know the Tennessee fans will probably kill me for that one, but they're rolling. I, I really like their offense, and I think. You know, with Tennessee's injuries on defense, it's a it's a chance for uh, the Aggies to pounce. No, I'm I'm with you on that one. Uh, you know, I tried to I tried to do the the hot hand, the new hotness uh, strategy last week and got burned by it. You know, you 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 take a you take a team that hasn't had the consistent success that that Louisville had. They come into a, a rough uh, road environment, a nighttime Clemson crowd frenzied. Uh, you know, with the top three team in the country or top team in the country and you know, they just couldn't hold their composure. And I think Tennessee has really been playing on on borrowed time here with, you know, the late game comebacks and the miracles and just, you know, playing one half of football, essentially. Uh, and Texas A&M, uh, you know, clearly one of the toughest environments to play in in all of college football out there at Kyle Field. It's going to be loud and raucous and it's going to be real tough for, uh, you know, Tennessee to kind of that sort of rally back into the into this game. I think there's just going to be too much Miles Garrett, too much of that defensive line coming in coming in and harassing uh, Josh Dobbs into making, you know, some of those throws that I know that you enjoy watching uh, him toss uh, throughout the course of the game. So, so I'm with you. I think Texas A&M wins this convincingly. Yeah. It's kind of a body blow game. I know, I know uh, several people were were injured for Texas A&M this past week, but I think they kind of rested them up and now they're they're ready to go because they got to play Tennessee and Alabama back to back. So it might be a body blow game for the Vols where they just been taking so many hits. They're in a brutal four game stretch right now. So we'll see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised with the way Tennessee has been winning these games. It may be one of those seasons where they're kind of destined to win. So now, Nick, I want to bring in a new segment, one of our favorite (laughs) sayings. Uh, That's on me, coach. If we want to stop, it's on us. It's on me. It's not. It's not on you. And that... This is a this is an expression that uh, we often hear coaches and players use back and forth with each other. With coaches saying stuff is on them. Of course, uh, Bill Kramer famously used to say at every single game that they lost, head coach of Naples High, where Nick and I used to work uh, down at the Naples Daily News. He would always say every loss was on him, and uh, the players would often say it was on them and not on the coach. So guess what? This one is on me. No no doubt about it. Last week I said Jake Browning was from. Uh, the state of Washington. I was wrong. He's from California. I don't know why. I thought he was from Washington. Maybe because his last name's Browning. There's the the clothing company, the hunting yeah, business. That's probably it. <laughs> He's from Folsom, California. He was a four star coming out a couple years ago. Actually featured him in my column this week. And 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 actually the guy who who corrected me uh, then created a, an account just to tweet pictures of me and make fun of how fat I wow, was. Wow, so, boy, Manny. <laughs> So Take big, some notes. Yeah, big shout to him. I I did block him, unfortunately, as he said. I ate too many chocolate chip cookies. Um, 
which probably is the case. I, I actually go for one of those right now. Matter of fact, <laughs> Allie's Cookies, uh, big shout in uh, Emory Village. If you live in the Atlanta area, early recommendation. I would check out Allie's Cookies. Very, very good cookies. Um, so that's it. That's on me, Coach. No, that was a mistake from last week. We'll try not to happen again. If you catch us making a mistake, we're happy to address it in this segment going forward. So, Nick, that wraps it up. Now it's time for rants and recommendations. Yes. Bing, bing, bing. The grand return. The segment is back after being uh, shelved last week due to some concerns over uh, corporate sponsorships and things of that nature. A lot of red tape involved with that last week. A lot of red tape. Right. So, so Nick, we'll let you start as uh, you have a recommendation, which I believe can roll into a rant for me. So uh, go ahead, take it away. Yeah. Well, what can't you rant about? Well, here, here's the deal. You know, uh, as I mentioned, uh, this past week, I went out to go see Jeffrey Okuda. You can check out uh, his update and what he said uh, about his, his uh, official visit schedule on Rivals.com. There's a little bit of a, a video of some of his highlights on my Twitter feed, if you feel so inclined to go check that out as well. Anyway, I uh, came home. Uh, I rent cars from a Avis uh, that's in a Sears, that's in a mall real close to my house and uh on on saturdays at this in the in the mall parking lot they do a farmer's market and uh at the you know and and uh, my wife came to go pick me up at the uh you know because uh, otherwise i'd have to walk home after i dropped off the car which i know you've been known to do uh not not so much for me uh in my situation right now but anyway so we were just taking a walk around and uh by the way lots lots of stuff in austin I mean, ninety percent of the food here is pickled. So let me just get that. That that could that could be a rant. But in this particular case, we stopped by one booth, and the the company is a brand new company of a couple of guys uh, cooking up some things based on family recipes. They're called Breed Loves, and uh, we bought a couple of things. They had some samples out. One is a peach and nutmeg jam, uh, which is which is really tasty, really sweet. I can't put to uh, can't wait to put this on. You know, some croissants or something uh, that I get later would go real good with some, uh, you know, some breakfast selections. And then also picked up a, a, a jar of Brazos Relish, you know, Brazos River, the uh, famed river that runs through central Texas here. And a lot of things are named after. So Brazos Relish, uh, uh, pickled onions and uh, watermelon rinds, I believe. And, you know, a real tasty topper for any of your, you know, favorite sandwiches or uh, lunch selections. So I might be having uh, one of these in the morning, one of these in the afternoon, and I'll be sitting there. Uh, sitting pretty with a smile on my face right afterwards, and and they, they were so excited, you know, that we came by and, and supported their local business. G- they gave us a little bit of a discount, you know. The Brazos relish jar was the last one on the on the counter, so we we scooped up the last one, and we felt like we won a prize. It was like going to the fair and winning that big stuffed animal at the, uh, you know, one of the fair games or something like that. <laughs> well, you have to you have to tweet at them and uh, let them know that you. Uh... You you gave them a big shout out here. Maybe they'll be a sponsor of the show going forward. Um, you know, I was going to complain about farmers markets. I didn't realize you were buying those types of things. A lot of people think that the fruit uh, and vegetables at farmers markets are you know superior. I, I think uh, Nick, you mentioned your lovely wife. Her and I have gone round and round on uh, you know <laughs> fruit well, listen, and vegetables. Trust, trust there's, there's plenty of stuff at farmers markets that I got no interest in, and they they were like you know especially the craft booths and stuff like that. It's like people's it's like the stuff that you see in people's front yard that you would never have in yours, and then they round it all up and try and sell it at the farmers market for like ten bucks or whatever. There was a little bit of that and. Uh, but I will say, uh, going back to our days in Atlanta, the, the, the farmer's market in Marietta square was also a favorite, uh, Saturday and Sunday ritual of ours, uh, as well, you know, just just just, a little proximity to you. I'm just a short jaunt to the DeKalb farmer's market, which, uh, they're building a massive new complex. that looks like it's the size of a Costco. So I would just advise that it, listen, if the, if, if you're at a farmer's market in a park and the, and the stuff you're buying has stickers on it, produce code stickers on it, it's the same thing they're selling at the grocery store. You're not getting anything better. Just walk on down to Publix or Kroger, uh, Safeway, you know, former employer of myself, and you're you're getting the same product, so don't think you're uh, you're helping anybody by doing that. But I do encourage you to go and support local businesses like Nick did with the uh, with the relish relish per- 
per- purchase. Boy, I'm having all kinds of problems spitting that out. I, I hate, I hate, I hate relish so much. I hate relish so much. I can't even say it. Well, it's not. Um, yeah, I'm with you. It's not real, but it's not. I wouldn't have got it if it was like normal relish. I'm not in on that. This is it's relish because of how like what it is, not uh, like the what do you like the method of making it. I guess not because it's like the relish no no i understand speaking of (laughs) speaking of relish what what is what is tip of the week if you're having a barbecue make sure you have pickles dill pickles on hand you you know those are those are a staple item dude if someone asks you for pickles and you say no but i have relish that's not relish (laughs) it's not pickles okay so just put that under your hat little little tip uh woody's tip of the week uh new segment we're gonna make that (laughs) Right. If you if you have um, if you have relish and not pickles, that's on you. Right, pickles are a staple item. Now, if you want to have relish and pickles, or if you want to have sweet pickles, also after you have dill, that's fine. Uh, but those are ancillary. We're talking about uh, you know it's like a figure skating routine. There's so many things you have to do, and then after that, you want to try a triple axel. Uh, go go right ahead. So, uh, <laughs> my my. My, my, it's too bad this funny material is after no one is listening to the show anymore. Uh, my well, recommendation, I, for I the, can put it right up in the front if we want. We can. <laughs> <laughs> my recommendation for the week is the TV show, the good place. Uh, it's on NBC starring, uh, Kristen Bell. I believe I recommended it to Nick. We couldn't remember if I did it on the show or not. I hope I didn't either way. It's, uh, it's a uh, Michael Shore TV show, which, uh, you know, has been on previous hits such as Parks and Recreation and uh, The Office. He's uh, kind of one of the writers, the guys behind the scenes. And I really enjoy the show. I would highly recommend watching it. We got all kind. Of, we had a lot of uh, Jacksonville Jaguars uh, references on the last episode, including a big shout to a friend of the show, Blake Bortles, yes. who, uh, you know, Nick, Nick loves and I covered in high school. And he also uh, frequents uh, the family restaurant down in Oviedo, Florida, his hometown. So uh, I would check that out. And guess what, Nick? This this plug actually fits right in with Yahoo, who uh, owns uh, our lives and this podcast and everything associated with our likeness. Yes. Yahoo has a new deal with uh, Hulu where they are streaming now. You can watch network TV shows every week for free right on the website. And uh, so I would advise go and check out Yahoo. Uh, replace uh, the, the screen product they have. You don't have to pay. You have to pay for everything now on Hulu, but it's uh, free on Yahoo the week of the show airs. So go check it out, yahoo.com, uh, and just look on the video section. You can find it there easily. So, uh, Nick, that wraps it up for us. Uh, we're, we're, all, <laughs> we're all wrapped up. Uh, another episode, we miss Rob Cassidy. We wish him luck as he uh, makes his way to New York. Like I said, please subscribe on iTunes. Uh, give a big shout to M. Deuce, who produces the music for the show. Nick, I actually got a music producer who sent us a new song this week. So uh, guess what, M. Deuce? Better keep that uh, fire I've been looking for coming my way because people are trying to take your job every day. Did he put, did he put word, is, is there lyrics in it? Did he characterize us in the theme? No, no, I wish he did. He, he just sent me an email that said, uh, oh man, I'm trying to find it now. It's a, it's, a lot of, it's, a, it's a lot of emails in my box. The Fever Beat for Woody Womack is what it's called. Oh, just for um, you, huh? All right. Yeah, just for me. Sorry, guys. Sorry that, you know, they, they, they know, he knows where the bread is buttered. Uh, so, so anyway, follow M-Deuce on SoundCloud, M-Deuce. Thanks for listening. Go Giants.